listening to season two of Pod. We are sisters, one West Coast, one East Coast, one straight mom of toddler twins, one gay, uh, multiply divorced, <laughs> one lifelong gag of the Chrissy fan, one new reader. Season one got the two of us through the first shitty year of COVID. Follow along with us for season two as we drink and sometimes remember to talk about the book. Welcome okay. to Paropod. Paropod, part two of My God of Mystery and Other Stories. And we are um, now starting with the fourth story in, which is the second Parker Pine. And it's a much more Parker Pine part. Because Super Parker Piney. Parker. <laughs> Parker Piney. Um, <laughs> but we, it's Parker Pine. He does his thing. But for a while, you're not sure because there's a long intro. Yeah. Where, yeah. When we had our full start, we were talking about that there, there's a really long intro, which it was fun to read, but is not worth us recapping. It's all the, he's traveling in Spain and the hotels are expensive and getting a taxi and all the different things. And it's, it's very mood setting and it's very Parker Pine, but doesn't do much for our right. exposition. <laughs> right. It, it, but it's a long setup to get to the actual issue, including him trying to avoid being hired. So Right. And th- that's the part that was interesting. Cause oh, he's traveling in Spain in a, in an Island um, in Spain and he has they 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 note how in london no one would recognize his name even though he advertises daily in the newspaper but abroad all of the expats or people who are traveling who get the english newspaper really read it cover to cover including all the ads so, so then- he's noticed that like when he's been traveling and this is what you were trying to say during the last parker pine that this one feels like it comes just after some of the other stories we read in a compilation right. of his stories where he's just been like, I'm sick of people finding me while I'm trying to be on vacation. Right. Because the very end of that compilation of Parker Pine, where he first solved her mystery and then the last one, he uses a fake name, but he was in the Mediterranean. This feels like it after that, because this even talks about how he had just been traveling in the Middle East. When he was talking yeah. about the price of the hotel, so it kind of feels like it came right after that, right? But also, so in he's the been working uh, at all of those stories, he the whole time, right? So he's in this hotel, and there's a nice British mother and son who seem respectable, and and they say how he kind of finds his countrymen boring but he can read their body language. And so he's chatting with the mother and son, but then he can read in the mother's body language that she's upset by something. So he goes back to the hotel registry and marks off Parker Pine and just puts Christopher Pine so that she won't recognize his name because she does not want to get involved with whatever's going on. Yeah, there's a great quote where he says, that is a very expressive back. It's a back that has a face that is something with unwashed tears like full of unwashed unshed tears or something like yeah. that it was a very rigid 
emotional back and he's like oh hell no i'm on vacation he right. does not want to be hired and then like it goes on for a couple of days and he's fine and then another british lady on vacation runs into the both of them and goes oh my god oh my god you're here and parker pine he's amazing he solves all the problems and you know and he's like oh crap Right, because she's going on and on about how he can solve anybody's problem and how you should just let him know your problems and he just fixes them all. And right. he's super annoyed. So if you are a newer listener and didn't listen to his whole shtick is if you're not happy, he can solve it. And it's fascinating because his methods of solving unhappiness is sometimes uh, unethical. Um, but and sometimes sneaky, but he has a thing of like, oh, I know what's wrong with you. I'm gonna he will it. totally gaslight you down to drugging you and stealing your identity. Mm-hmm. But it makes you happy. Like he always, right? according to the the book anyway. Right. He He's, always, yeah. He's he ethical. Because he will, he will, I mean, right. He has ethics. <laughs> but whether, we... whether you agree with him or not. But yeah, if you go to him and say, I'm unhappy, you might be a rich person and he'll make you poor again because that's actually what would make you happy or these different scenarios. So he ends up doing things that a lot of often the person feels completely upended. It's very and, fantasy Island. That's what we said when we yes. read it. Very fantasy Island where you're like, Oh, is that what we wanted to happen? But it, you know, it turns out that you did want excitement or you did want whatever. So, right. So yeah, that's, that's his technique. Um, so so this woman's problem where she was rigidly not crying her tears is that her son who is actually really sweet and hangs out with him a lot, her a lot even though he's like it sounds like 21 or something 25 right, he's 20s yeah and she's like 50 i couldn't really quite tell but you know right um but even though he hangs out with her all the time but whenever he does leave she gets all sad and so like she as soon as this woman says oh my god it's parker pine then she unloads on parker pine and says it's horrible he's hanging out with this one girl it's horrible it's horrible she's a terrible girl you've got to get her away and And where they are in um spain which we think is called mallorca there's like an artist colony and so the sun is hanging out with this woman who's part of the artist colony and kind of at this this art scene right and her her sister is married to an artist and everyone wears they said um handkerchiefs pretending to be (laughs) tops or something it's very you know like i'm judgy you're you know right and they're they're um uh they're you know wearing makeup and having cocktails and doing young people things and the mother does not approve of any of this right and so this is where parker pine says the best quote ever because his first technique is to say to the mom calm down it's okay your son wants to hang out with young people you should go you should be becoming yourself now that your son is moving on and he says the quote 
no man or woman is actually himself or herself till after 45. That's when individuality has a chance. And, and he, he does... had, yeah, he had just been making this point that bef- between 20 and 40, you're playing a character in the scene and so you can't see it. And after 40s, getting to 45, you can start to see a, a zoomed out with a bird's eye view a little bit more and understand a little bit more of the world. And so then you can start to understand other people and start to understand yourself. And so his point to her was stop obsessing about your kid. Like now is the time when you can actually get to know yourself and live an interesting life. And I just loved it because his point was, because it sounded like her husband, the son's father had died years earlier. So it was just the two of them. And it sounds like she put her whole heart and soul into bringing up her son as a single mom. Right. And there's a quote that I saw recently um, that I like that said, your job as a parent is to make your kid independent from you, but it breaks your heart along the way as you succeed. Mm-hmm. And it's true because of course, on the one hand, you're like, yes, you can do this on your own. You don't need me fuck you don't need me you know (laughs) right and so like uh because even now my kids tend to only want to cuddle when they're sad or sick or super tired they don't necessarily want to cuddle other times having way too much fun running around um and that's even a difference from when you know like just not that long ago and so there's that part of me that's like well dang it I you used to I just to be able to hold you all the time you know right right and now that they're pushing three that's but it's good it's good and it would be bad if they only wanted to cuddle with you all the time exactly because this idea that you want them to be independent you want to learn how to feed themselves put on their clothes do all the things and Every time they don't need you anymore for everything, you go, oh, you know, this is a thing. <laughs> yeah. And so it's, 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 it's a, every single parent, I think, has this struggle within themselves. And so I have a lot of sympathy for this character, for this, I can't remember her name. Um, but um, on the other hand, it sounds like she never developed outside of being this guy's mom and so that's why she's so upset that he's wanting to hang out with the girl and and his whole his first way of dealing with this is to try to talk her out of it and to be like um you need to focus on yourself right it's okay that he wants to hang out with young people but that doesn't work and um, and so he's like, okay, fine. I'll see what I can do, you know. But he right. does try to say, just calm down. Like, yeah, he does. A guy in his and 20s... I really like that quote, especially with me turning forty-five this year. I was like, oh, good, I can start to be a person. <laughs> I actually but... said that to her. It's funny because, like, there's a something that Bianca and I quote from Kimmy Schmidt or something, where we'll like be like, when you're having a moment, be like, I'm a person. And he actually says that to her. He's like, you're not just his mom. You're a person. Right. And it's like that, that whole thing of like being, being a person, being your own person. And so I was like, Oh good. I'm, I'm turning 45 this year. I can be a person. (laughs) 
Right. Yeah. And it's, yeah. So I, it's really good. And it's also, that's not dated. Cause I think that I've seen other people my age or younger than me who are doing the same thing of like, to be a mom and only a mom. But then Oh yeah. Like, no, that's not dated. It's interesting because I see that with some of my friends that have kids and not all some, I think I have some friends that have a really good balance of being a person for themselves and a mom. And then there's other ones where you're just like, you are more than just this person's mom. Right. And I think where that's it just w- takes them over. One of the things about being an older mom, like is, uh, I had an entire career in life before I became a mom. And I know that being a mom is temp- temporary in the sense I'm always going to be their mom, but it's temporary. It's like my, Right, the cuddles and the things like that. Like, it's constantly changing. And like you said, you're constantly pushing them to need you less. Right, like your your, your job as a parent is to feel obsolete. Yeah. And um, if you think about that point obsolete with dread and can't think of anything else that you would do after that, then maybe you're, you didn't have perspective on that. Right. Um, I mean, because I could imagine thinking about that moment of being obsolete as sad, and it's definitely, you know, like I can see, like, oh, I really liked that point when we were doing it together, and you don't need it anymore, you know. Mm-hmm. But, oh, once I'm obsolete, there are other things that I am. Right. And uh, th- this woman hadn't reached that. So anyway, it. That's, I think my favorite part of this whole book is that little yeah where he's giving her that speech but like you said it doesn't work and she's still like he's ruining his life because he wants to marry this woman they're engaged so then Parker Pine goes to the sun and gets to meet the fiance and he notices right away that she when she was they had tea together with the mom and she was wearing a ton of makeup and kind of like a very revealing top in order to cocktail cocktail. at at tea time Whereas when they went to her house, she was a lot more, less made up and seemed a lot like more calmed down. And so he questions her and she's like, yeah, I kind of got, you know, I got a bad vibe from her. She's clearly really judgy. And so she was kind of going into rebellious mode instead of trying to please her. She was doing everything, which is very me. I do that not with moms, the people I'm dating, but there's certain people who I do that with where I'm just like, if you disapprove of this, I'm going to do a double. Right. So I totally identified with that. Yeah. It's so it's cute because it's definitely where she's like, what you don't like me for being hip. Yeah. So yeah, that was, so she admits that she's performing that a little bit. And then Parker Pine is like talking about the whole issue of the mom approving or not. And the girl's like, well, are you trying to split us up? And he says, okay, I have three questions. Oh, this is so cute. Like, so yeah. true, too. You and I both having been through multiple relationships. He says, okay, let me see if you guys are compatible. Do you sleep with the window open or closed? Do you go to bed early or late? What was the third one? And something else like that. Something else very Prosaic, day-to-day like, kind of stuff. And yeah. she was like, are you serious? That's all there is? And he's like, yep, that's really all there is. And I think that's true. Oh, like the, and like maybe like how warm you keep the thermostat or something like that. 
I don't know if they have yeah. central air. I, and I, of course, when I read this as a kid, I was thinking, hmm, well, my mom stays up late and goes to bed early and they're still together. Uh-huh. Uh. And then <laughs> when I read it, uh, you know, 20 years ago, uh, I like to stay up late and my ex-husband liked to go to bed early. And I was like, this is a good test. <laughs> so, and now, but, yeah, it's funny. Yeah. yeah it's, one of the best things about my relationship with B is that she also likes to keep the thermostat on 97 like I do. Like, <laughs> I cannot understand how people live in 60, 65 degree houses. It's just insane to me. Like, and me and my Pepco, Pepco is our energy company, like mm-hmm. worries. We'll go by and turn it down from 75 to 73. But this, our thermostat does not go for below 73. Okay. And so. That's compatibility, I guess. That's compatibility because if I'm always cold, <laughs> then those kind of things, right? If yeah, I had to yeah. live with someone who slept with the window open, are you kidding me? Oh, I know, right? Yeah, no. Or the blinds open. That drives me crazy. <laughs> what, in the bedroom? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, see, I like the blinds open. I need the Car- Carthadian to be like, no, it's morning, wake up. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. I hate that in hotels where they only have, like, the blackout things. It's either, like, show your naked self to the world or blackout. And I was like, I'm going to sleep till noon. I need the sun to tell me that it's morning. <laughs> oh, interesting. But I know you, you, you like that. You like, a, you like a blackout curtain. I do. I do. So but These are the things that matter. I, these are. Apparently, we learn this. Apparently. So So anyways, uh, Parker Pine, Parker Pines. And what happens is he goes away on a day trip or whatever, but for a week, he goes away to somewhere nearby. And while he's gone... Just a side note, how do British people have a vacation from their vacation? (laughs) Like, (laughs) what? How is is this a thing? Like, he was on vacation in Mallorca, and then he went away? Right, and he barely got this room at this hotel, but somehow he was able to arrange a separate side trip. Which I think was in a different part of Mallorca, but yeah, and then he comes back to this because this is his home base. I, I right? I, Did they save your room for you? How does it work? I mean, I just don't understand the idea that you would have a vacation from your vacation. But this isn't the only time that this has happened in an Agatha Christie book where they right. go. They're at a one hotel and then they go on an excursion and they come back to the hotel. I just apparently have not taken these extensive kind of vacations so but no. i vacation from my vacation okay but anyway yeah, he, so he goes a on a vacation from his vacation when he comes back now the son i think his name is derek is infatuated with this very exotic beauty woman um and the mom and the fiance who were not getting along at all before are now bonded that they're both bonded over the guy, I think his name is Derek. Being... No, 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 Basil. His name Basil. is Basil. And her name, I just looked it up, was Mrs. Chester. All right. So Mrs. Chester and what's the girl's name then? Fiance. It was like it was like Sarah or something, wasn't it? Oh, I guess how you were looking at it. I was. Well, I'm just looking at the summary on um, AgathaChristie.com. It doesn't give her name. It doesn't. It just well, and actually, it just gives Misogyny. Mrs. Chester. It just gives Mrs. Chester, and I just remembered that his name was Basil Chester. So, all right. So, Mrs. Chester and fiance 
are now bonded and Basil is puppy dogging after this gorgeous woman. And so now Mrs. Chester goes to Parker Pine and is like, oh my God, this is terrible. He's running around with this other person and he's really vampy. Yeah. Yeah, he's really hurting his fiance's feelings. And Parker Pine's like, I wait, I thought you didn't like her. And she's like, Oh no, she's great. That's before I got to know her. But now this new woman is terrible. And I remember there's a great line where Parker Pine blinked and is just like, Okay then. I've taken I've heard people change their mind just like this before, but it was a complete switch. Right. Um Oh, when we and the kind of say, gaslighting switch where you pretend you never felt the way you said you felt, right before. And and we forgot to say that bef- when Mrs. Chester first approached him, and he was like, "Well, he's hanging out with her, but it's probably nothing serious." And she was like, "No, no, 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 it's awful. They're engaged, you know." And so, like, that's when she had hired him. Yeah. Um, but and then now uh, she's coming to him and saying, "Oh, this new woman." And there's a couple of scenes where Basil was forgetting to meet, might be Sarah or whatever. Um, and then Sarah finally takes off her engagement ring, mm-hmm. which wasn't a real diamond because they hadn't even gotten that yet. Um, and uh, and then, uh, so then Mrs. Chester comes in desperation and says, take that woman away, make her go away. And uh, Parker Pine comes back and says, I've taken care of her. She's leaving. Yeah, she's 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 leaving the area tomorrow, and then she'll leave Spain completely, and she'll be gone. And, and so she does. Then, he doesn't take any money for the moment. She's like, "Oh, what's your fee?" And he's like, "No fee." And I was able to get her to leave without paying her off. So he doesn't take any money for this whole thing, which is weird to me. But okay, and then <laughs> I mean, he just he... took a vacation from his vacation. He's doing fine financially, I guess. Apparently. So then he's on the boat that's leaving Mallorca and chatting with, dun, 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 this woman who turns out it was the same uh, woman that was in a couple of different episodes. From... Right. She's, she's the sexy woman every time that Parker Pine needs a sexy woman. Right. She's apparently, and again, this story, just like those ones back in that we read when we first heard about her how freaking gorgeous is this woman i mean like i'm very curious because she's apparently incredibly distracting (laughs) and i'm very curious because like what does that look like what does that mean because when someone just described that she's so beautiful that she can screw up everybody's you know relationships like what does that even mean i mean there's people like that I know. I just am very curious. I just, <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. So, so she... they're they're chatting on the boat, and she's she's you know, and they're kind of refer to the fact that she's actually like a homebody, who's all these parts she plays are not similar to her at all. And then she's like, "I'm gonna go and go to bed because I don't like sailing on ships." And then Basil says, "Oh my gosh, thank you so much, mother." And I'm guessing Sarah. I can't remember her. It's definitely not Sarah, but I don't know what it is. (laughs) Okay. Um, Are now thick as thieves. They're getting along great. I will be sad that sexy woman left for a few days. And then I think everything will be great. Thank you. That worked out great. And then there's this great long pause. And he goes, 
So is she still around? I want to see <laughs> Right. And he's like, no, she's gone to bed. And he's like, okay, maybe I'll see her in London sometime. And he's like, nope, she's not going to London. She's going to she's be going far, on assignment far somewhere far, far away. You'll never see her again. And he goes, okay, that's cool. Where <laughs> again, like that one episode from Parker Pine, where it literally did screw up somebody's marriage. Um, right, he was supposed to fake fall in love with her, and then he actually fell in love with her. So, like that, where you're like, apparently, this woman can only be used in small doses. Right, because Ben cannot withstand. Yeah. Anyway, but it's so, cute, and uh, like, and then, and we do take this one as a happy ending. That the guy didn't actually try to leave his fiance for her, but now it's all, now it's all good. Right. right. Now, did Mrs. Chin her lesson that now that her son is in twenties, that she can move on and have her own life? I know, right? We hope that like now that he's engaged with the girl and she likes the girl, maybe she can be like, well, you guys have fun. I'm going to go on a vacation from my vacation with the uh, Silver Singles group or something. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, single especially knowing that like her as his mom is probably our age. Right. <laughs> and, and apparently. Go get yours, girl. Because if she, she had kids, money. what time? you know, at the age that people actually had kids back then, she's probably right. literally between my and your age. Right. And she has enough to spend, a, apparently, a long enough time in my York her son falls in love with somebody. So, like, she's got... Right. She needs to go off and do her is, own thing. She needs to go off and do her own thing. I've brought it up before. Um, not the... It's the British version of how Stella got your groove back. Uh, uh, on the verge of a nervous breakdown? No, it's Spanish. Um, it's a British woman who's like nobody appreciates her, so she goes to. Greece. I know you have that. I sing women on the verge of nervous breakdown, but I'm not thinking of that. I'm thinking of the one where she's talking to the wall. Yes, yes. Oh, that's so good. Um, but that's what she needs to do. She needs to go Greece and one. get laid. Shirley Valentine. Yes, yes. No. Yeah, and she's yes. a 42 year old bored. The rural Poodian housewife. That's exactly it. Yeah, her grown kids take advantage of her. Her husband's kind of a big jerk. Right. So I feel like this, yeah, this this is that mom. So she, uh, yeah, except for this one doesn't have a husband. So she just just go to Greece and get laid. Yeah. So or uh, you know, be in Spain, but don't be paying attention to her son. Right. Like yeah, she's in Spain. Like she's in the island off the coast of Spain. Should be doing all the fun things. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so um, it, it's a cute one. It's a nice um, Parker. It is Pine. a cute one. It's a nice Parker Pine. Yeah, and it's yeah. Unlike the other Parker Pine in this collection, yeah, it feels a lot better. Okay, right. so our our fifth story was Chris, which was originally a public thirty seven. Um, all of these are kind of mid thirties. As I mentioned, uh, they're all pretending war hadn't started, even though this book came out after the war had started. Right. Um, but this is a weird one. Um, <laughs> and, it's a pro. It, it's a pro, and 
a lot of things that I'm like, what just happened? And then read ahead, which both of us have. Um, she uses the same idea like 10 years. Is that later? It is later. I just looked it up. Okay. Sparkling cyanide, she turns into a full-length mo- uh, novel. Okay, yeah. So this, yeah, it's the same plot as, sort of the same plot as Sparkling Cyanide. Um, and so it's, because um, it starts with her getting, a, him, Poirot, getting a phone call at like. And he kind of makes fun of himself because he gets a phone call late at night and he's like, oh, uh, maybe it's the wrong number. Maybe it's the king of Prussia that's just been killed and there's a yellow carnation in his mouth. Like, you know, very like overtly clue dramatic detective thing right and so it's cute because in some ways it was sort of like a self-own in that way i also thought that was interesting on one hand if he's home at night it's late night but then he goes out to this club because the phone call said to this club go to the table with the yellow irises yes and he gets there the woman a woman called and was like i'm in danger i'm in danger you must help come to this club and go to the table with the yellow irises and so he goes to the club and it's not late at all it's eating drinking dancing you know and so it's kind of funny thing which i can get because there are certain nights where i'm just like gosh let's be in our bed and like go to bed early and then there's other nights where i'm like ah, it's only 11 you know like right exactly like yeah you can be totally in for the night at 8 45 or you can just be beginning the night at 11 so right so that felt like that that he was in for the night gets this phone call out for the night and then he goes right. to this club and people knew him at the club I, I yeah think. the club owner like when he walked in they knew him and then he walks over to the table with the yellow irises and he runs to a guy that he knows. I can't figure out why, but is he American? Not by the audio reader. Yeah, so not according to Hugh Frazier. Okay, but it's a guy named Tony. Yeah, that does sound. Tony Marsden. Um, yeah, because Tony is not something that British people usually call. Um, but anyway, Tony um, is sitting at a table with the yellow irises and Poirot is like, okay, this seems weird because it was all like, I'm danger, I'm danger. And Tony's just a young man who's like easygoing. Tonight he's sad because his girl is mad at him. Right. And I just loved because he her hundred words to my six and my but darling, I can't explain. Or my five, it's five. Right. But, darling, I can't explain. <laughs> right, he said, like, we've had words, and by words, I mean her hundred and my five, or whatever, yeah. I just thought that was hilarious. But, darling, I can't explain. Yeah. Um, and then comes back, and there's Pauline, which is the girl who's mad at Tony. Her brother-in-law, the sister used to be married to this guy, but she died. Uh, a Stephen something who was a British ser- service guy or something. Something. And then a Spanish. It was a performer. Yeah. And was that it? 
think that's it. Yeah, and then they had an empty seat at the table. And um, so then Poirot's trying to figure out who called because it was a woman. And both of the women are acting like they don't know him. They don't know what he's he's talking about. He's like, oh, have you called a friend tonight? And they're like, oh, yeah, I called. They're like, it's not lining up to the person who would have called him. But also the Spanish woman has a very strong Spanish accent. Right. Didn't the person who called him did not, which I just thought because later when he figures out that it was the only one there, I right. was thinking, of course it wasn't the woman with the strong Spanish accent, unless <laughs> no shit, Sherlock. I mean, there are those of us. There's not. There are people, not me, who can change our accent like a dot. Seen people do it, but. If she's having trouble speaking English with an accent, she probably can't just turn that off. Right. I've heard people turn that on, but not off. And so, anyway, so when he's, like, trying to figure out who called him, I'm thinking it's the lady that has a British accent because, (laughs) (laughs) like, this doesn't seem that hard. She denies it. Everybody denies calling him. And so then, basically, they're having this night, kind of hanging out, there's dancing, and then there's this moment where the brother-in-law is like, you all see that I brought you all here, and there was only five of us, but there's six chairs, but now Hercule Poirot is the sixth chair, but actually you don't even know how important that is, because murder, and my one year ago... My wife died in a situation almost just like this, and everyone who's here was there that night. But her, there was cyanide in her purse and in her drink, and they called it suicide, but I never believed it. And I brought you all today to prove someone killed her. And, and so I was like, okay, this got super awkward suddenly. And apparently it's the exact same people that were there a year ago. I thought it was. I think it was. Year. It was either a year or three years or something like that. Because the other thing was, it, that, yeah, it like, might have been three years, but it it was the anniversary of her death. Because they were, little Pauline was out for a special treat when her sister died, which that's okay. fucked up. Um, anyway, and, and now Pauline is young but grown. And also, it wasn't at this nightclub. It was in the states. It was all of those same people were in the. Yeah, um, so it was at a club in the states, and then, and then is when it gets the racism comes in. Oh yes, because to repeat what happened in the states, then now the the lights go down and music comes on, and it's a black woman singing, like a blues uh, song or something. About how love hurts and it's terrible. Um, but the description of her as a black woman made me uncomfortable. And oh, it was it was very underneath my bed. It was very and... cringeworthy. <laughs> well, and yeah. one goes, she uses the term like coal black, and then another time she's she's saying all these lyrics in between the description of like love is pain and love is awful and you know like, but then she says something like, and then this woman whose ancestors came from Africa. Like, it's like she mentions the color of the woman seven times, where you're like... Yeah, and her okay. ancestors coming from Africa, like, was okay. Right. To what and, end? Like, it, it was out of context, but it, that 
sentence in and of itself didn't make me cringe except for to be like right you've established but then like it, just the physical descriptors made me uncomfortable like i blocked it out but also it's like this woman was black like a bazillion times yeah it was like yeah we get it she's a black woman <laughs> and you know black the point is singers. that everyone loves the performance and afterwards everyone's clapping and it's great but it's just like who super right. it's almost like um is the term uh like it, like the, the asian fetishism it's almost like that where it's like describing it in a way that's like fetishizing oh definitely like, you know, I, w- I would agree there was definitely some fetishizing there it was it um, reminded me similar to when she's describing an asian thing that's happening and it's like you clearly are really awkward describing this <laughs> yeah yeah and i'll i mean because i think um that was definitely in her earlier books that we started with was asian fetishizing um which we haven't a, seen it it was a, a similar while. energy to that yeah where you're just like you know you could just describe this person as a person without right and it's okay to use phenotypic descriptors without making it all turn our stomachs you know what i mean like right right and it's just like because yeah the obsession with it like you're gonna miss seven times why like right and like yeah and then like right they had she had said it so many times and then and then the woman whose ancestors had come from africa finished her song or something you're like right Right. we get it (laughs) right you you already said that her skin was charcoal or whatever like we we get right Right. but all yeah then that was and those are the two of the most mild ways that she described it um yeah so you're just like okay yeah (laughs) that was rough so so that happened and then yeah so the point for the story is that after the music comes back on we look over and penelope is that her name oh paulina 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 is now crumpled over her plate and they're like (gasps) and power takes her pulse and she's dead which is just like what happened before when they came back from the singing her sister who might have been the same exact song which by the way point was no anybody having ptsd right because if i heard that i'm moving blue song and then the song finished and there was someone dead next to me the next time i heard that song in a nightclub i might not be enjoying it i might be really hyper vigilant so i'm just saying the whole premise of this is like ptsd i guess it was him trying to play on that right but i don't know yeah because I think that if I were people I cared about and I had PTSD, like from the last time somebody died, I'd have been holding them close. I want saying, Are you to okay? let you know, Portia, that if I get poisoned by cyanide at a dinner party, I want you to, on the anniversary of that death, recreate the dinner party. <laughs> no! <laughs> I expect no. this of you. <laughs> you will recreate no. my cyanide death. <laughs> Not gonna happen. Nope. <laughs> Not gonna happen. Nope. So, Bravo's like, she's dead. And then they decide to, and then he smells the drink and is like, it's cyanide. And then everybody's growing now. So he turns to Tony and he's like, Tony, turn out your 
breast pocket. And there's a packet of cyanide in there that's like labeled cyanide for killing people. No, no, no. It wasn't Tony. It was Steven, the Secret Service guy. Steven, the Secret Service guy. Right, but it definitely was labeled cyanide for killing people. It was definitely <laughs> like sure. it was like super labeled, like. And then remember to take like labeled. Remember to take the dinner party to kill people. Right, and everybody's pointing finger at each other. Dun dun dun! Everybody's doing that. Right, that and then and then the brother-in-law is like, oh, "I always knew it was you because she loved you," and but you didn't want a scandal, so you so you rejected her so she killed herself or you killed her ha 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 and then Paulina comes to life oh then Praros but it actually works in this case because he's like aha I was too clever for you and I saw what was happening and I whispered to her in the dark now Paulina come to life and she comes to life and she comes up didn't drink the drink and and then Pauline and Tony are now completely not mad at each other, and they're like making up. But then her, her Paulina's brother-in-law is really confused and apparently pissed because he tried to kill his sister-in-law. He tried to kill her, and he wanted to frame this other guy. And right. then, and basically, like yeah, he, and we don't know. I think we don't that- know if he killed his wife or if he decided to frame this guy after the fact and the, the book doesn't tell us i think it was five years i think she was 16 when her sister died and she was now turned 21 and that was important because she was going to inherit oh right and that was the whole thing is because he'd been playing around with her inheritance that's a that's a common plot twist in these things right and so yeah so he'd been playing around with her inheritance so he needed to kill her and then he wanted to frame the guy that his wife probably had feelings for. Right, right. And so then she, he, Poro asks if Paulina wants to press charges, and she says no. And he, yeah, really it's a, it was a weird twist on the murderer kills themselves. It's sort of like, oh, he just tried to kill you. You want to press charges? You don't want to, right? And then she's I, like, no, just get out of my sight. I, he uh, said, calls Poro a jack. Which I don't know what he, that means. He storms off like a toddler and is like stupid, ruining my murder plans. Yeah. Right. Which again stupid seems weird. Interfering jackknives, but whatever. I don't know <laughs> what that means. Um, and then he leaves, and then everybody's super happy, fun time. Jackknife. Jackanapes. Oh, according so jackanapes. Jackanapes means an imper person or a tame monkey Joe Narcissus was such a conceited jackanapes that he glimpsed himself in the mirror he fell in love so that's kind of mild to call someone who just screwed up your murder plot but it also seems like you're usually like you would storm off and be like I wasn't killing but bye I'm gonna go real fast so she, before she changed her name her mind but like he did stomp off like a toddler yeah, he definitely called him an interfering jackanape. I'm going to use jackanapes, unless it's racist. <laughs> I'm going to start using that. Now, let's see. Well, I mean, because it it's Shakespeare, so it could be racist. But it says it's a monkey on a leaf. Which is weird, because it refers to someone who's full of themselves. 
Yeah. Okay, I won't use okay. it because I don't understand how racist it is. Okay. But anyway, the point is, it's a weird insult to yell at someone who just screwed up your whole murder plot. But it also it also went weird to like her whole like hating of the judicial system because like again instead of being like ah he just tried to kill someone and frame someone else here's the inspector to arrest them it's like get out of here scoundrel before we change our mind like why are you letting him go right just different rules for rich people like, I understand it... like when it's like get out of here because you were revenge killing for the you know what I mean but like right right there's nothing good about this. Yeah, I, I don't get it because uh, yeah, her justice. Um, I don't know why we didn't want to arrest him. I don't know why we, I want to arrest him. Seems terrible. Because <laughs> also so that's just, right. Go ahead. Just doing just giving everyone who was at this death five years ago, I think it was five. SD. He should be arrested for that. Just that. <laughs> just for the stupid dinner party of it all. Yeah, so then basically you find out that the Petunia? Penelope? Paulina. Paulina. <laughs> Paulina. <laughs> I'm just glad you didn't say Portia because it kind of seems P-named. No, but you're not a, like a three-syllable. I neither is Petunia, but longer. <laughs> There's a lot more letters in that. <laughs> that uh, Penelope um, had basically... No, did I get it wrong again? <laughs> Paulina. <laughs> I'm not okay with that being the name. I can't remember. Okay. <laughs> Paulina had basically been like, this is weird. You're doing something weird. This whole like reunion going out, all the same people were there, like something funky is going to happen and I don't feel safe. I've heard of Hyokyo Praro, so I'm just going to call him and be dramatic. I didn't understand why she would not admit to calling him. I think because he could hear her. I think okay. there wasn't enough privacy. Okay, fair. but she did say I didn't want you to know it was me, which was weird. Right, but well, I think just... yeah, I would have given like the wink, been like, I don't know who called you. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, so for our listeners, she, I said I don't know you, and then did a very exaggerated wink. Right, so... I didn't. They, they can't, they can't hear that. They can't. Hear <laughs> wink. Thank you. Yeah. So, All right. So yeah, speaking like... of speculating with inheritance. I last night watched Death on the Nile, the new yeah. version. Uh, uh, Kenneth Branagh. And, Which I uh, want you to watch, but I just have to say a few things now. Okay. So the things I have to say start with, they do this weird backstory where there's a war scene and somehow Hyokyo Praro does something heroic in the war. Like he says something smart. I couldn't read the subtitles because all I could focus on was like Kenneth Branagh's CGI young face. He, it's like Jar Jar Binks, Kenneth Branagh. It's supposed to be like young him in the war. And I, I literally oh, couldn't God. read the subtitles because all I could do was watch his like CGI face. <laughs> and I was like, what is happening? There's no war backstory for Praro. It's not a right. thing. And B was like, well, what is the backstory with him like becoming a refugee in England? I was like, we don't know. We just know he came. But he definitely sure. was not like on the battlefield. That's definitely never zero, zero, zero. Not a thing. Right, because we, we are all... He, he was from the first war and he was older. 
Yeah, so in this, he's a young man on the battlefield, and he says something smart that almost saves everyone, and then something blows up. And everybody dies, and he gets a big scar on his face. And then the worst part is, they flash to him in the ho- in the hotel, in the, in the hospital, and some British, maybe? Young woman who loves him looks at his scarred face, and is like, I love you, I love you, I love you, you'll grow a mustache. So that's the backstory to his obnoxious mustache. Oh, that's a load of bullshit. And it's it's so hetero. And you're like, for this man who's described as the foppiest fop in every book, to have this like English patient backstory is so annoying. Yeah, because one of the things we have talked about, his sexuality is definitely ambiguous. It's either asexual too, and like he definitely always appreciates women in a very much like those are fabulous shoes kind of way. Right. And so it was just so annoying to give him this like one war hero backstory and then like young, like it almost, and they made it seem like that backstory is why he hasn't married or dated all this time because he was, and they kept in the movie referring back to his heartbreak from this time and that's why he's so focused on being a detective is because he keeps himself busy from falling in love because love hurts too much. And it's like, that is not what? the character that we know. That is yeah. Kenneth Branagh thinking of himself as a virile, lovely man. Right. He wants He's to make this character into someone else so that he can be like a sexual hero. And you're like, what? Oh, that's so annoying. So on Agatha Christie Facebook page, um, that people have ranted about the backstory so even though i hadn't i haven't seen and it i yet, didn't i told you I, I have no idea what those subtitles said because all i could see was his cgi face i was like why is he what's happening because it's supposed to be 23 year old kenneth brown oh dear and all i so, see is dobby slash jar jar binks <laughs> <laughs> i was like that's dobby giving dialogue and i can't i just watching his weird cgi mouth move it's so bad <laughs> oh that's hilarious Dobby yeah. sash charger face. I'm sure that is what I was going on, going for was like that. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, no, I knew that there was a backstory that everybody was like, what the fuck? That's not. But then other things are, it's beautifully shot. Whoever did the cinematography, gorgeous. They added, the other thing that made me, with this story made me think about it is that they added like a jazz singer and her niece who were black, black Americans. Uh-huh. And um, well, who are not in wasn't she supposed to be uh, what um, Murder She Wrote Lady was in the uh, 70s version maybe but in this she's like a performing for the party but she's a singer I think whereas, whereas I think that uh, yeah Angela Lansbury she... was supposed to be like a writer right she was supposed to be a writer who was drunk all the time so instead of being an alcoholic writer, she is the singer for this, who's the new love interest for Praro. So it's fun oh. because Praro's in love with a black woman, but like but, also in love in a very like crouching tiger, I'll never say anything kind of way. Also, that character, since I haven't seen the new version, spoilers, but that character finds out who did it, black, and then is shot. Yeah, they switched who shot. Okay. It's a young man who's supposed to be Paro's homie. Again, you're like, how does how does he know this guy? So like in that character again, 
who finds out who did it and does that same moment happens, but it's a young man who's why Praro's even invited because it's his friend Book. Like, who's Book and how is he homies with with Praro, who's like 25 years older than him? Other question about Praro and who he loves, but okay. Right, that would make more sense. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) But that guy. So, what's that? Guys? Okay. Yeah, the young guy, and he's the guy who's in young, in love with the niece, which I can't remember how close that is to the original. But that guy's in love with the niece, and he dies, and the niece is the niece of the singer, so she's black as well. She's a uh, Letitia Wright from Black Panther, so it's like awesome. Okay. But but then her love interest dies. Okay. And then um, so the other things that are weird is that like Gail Godot. Like when you just having watched the old version, remember those dresses on the on the on Lynette that w- I was dying about. Mm-hmm. Like her 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 wardrobe was okay, and it's Gil Godot. Like she's a killer. Like there should be some like shut your face. She's so gorgeous pieces, but like it was just like she's fine. Oh, that's so I didn't though. I didn't see the thing that made her such an icon. And then the one who plays Mero, Mia Farrow's role uh-huh. is you know how, like remember we were talking about it beforehand before we watched it like Mia Farrow I was like she's too pretty to play that role but she does such a good job of playing mousy like she can kind of play both sides but the woman who plays Jacqueline is too much of a Denise Richards type to seem the mousy part mm, like she looks yeah. like the gorgeous girl who will kill you the whole time uh, so you never, yeah, you're never, you know, like yeah, Mia Farrow does Mia... a really good job of being like, oh, she does kind of seem plain in this, you know, like, and then like, right. So, yeah, Farrow. I mean, that's the interesting thing that they chose, Gail. Gail, anyway, because the role, the juicy play, is the Mia Farrow role. Like that's the yeah, but what's role. interesting is like, she gets a lot of like crazy eye contact and stuff. But the end with her exposition, her time to be like, I'm a crazy bitch and this is how I did it. They cut that off. Oh, no. Yeah. So I felt like her role was just like pretty crazy girl. Mm. Which, and, yeah. But one thing that was fun was, remember the woman who was the nurse and her like uh, Maggie Smith as a butch? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So in this, it's Jennifer Saunders is the rich lady. And she's the woman from AbFab. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> so I'm just like, oh my god, I know her. Oh my god, I looked it up. It's her. And then the woman that plays um, the nurse, who's actually they. In this, it's open. Like Poirot calls it out that they're lovers. Mm, that they're actually nice. lovers. But that's Mrs. Bauer. But she's the, the vicar of Dibley. Huh? Have you ever watched For- the Vicar of Dibley? I've never watched the Vicar of Dibley. It's a delight. She's the woman in the painting in one of the pro- in the one of the Harry Potters. Oh, like at Gryffindor Tower. Yeah, 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 yeah. The one She's who's very funny. Yeah, there's she has a whole series where she plays a vicar in a small town, and it's like one of the funniest things. If you find it on a streaming service, just binge it because it's delightful. It's like late '80s, early '90s, around the AbFab time. Okay. But she's the vicar in this small British town, and it's like so funny. And she's the main character. And absolutely fabulous is that old? That can't be that right. That's, That's definitely not... that old. No, it's not thirty years old. Uh, 
okay, it might be late nineties, but okay, I'm just having a moment. Just having a moment. <laughs> but anyways, so to see the two of them, and then we were looking it up. They had a whole show together. The woman from Abfab and the Vicar of Dibley had a show together forever. Where they're like, it's like a duo show, which we haven't found yet. But we're like, oh, so this is it would be probably even more fun if you'd watch that show because this is them reuniting again. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, and Provo calls them out as lovers. And then they're like, yes, we are lovers. Nice. Okay. So okay. there are some parts. Like, the cinematography is great. And you're like, I like that. And they did the whole, like, and it felt very, the, the, the what felt like the Christie about it was there's like, you know, this jazz singer and her niece. Like, that felt like how Agatha Christie would incorporate, you know, Black Americans into it. Um, and she's the love interest, so that's cool, like the nieces. And then the aunt, who's Sophia Canedo from Hotel Rwanda and other things. Okay, okay, like she's, yeah, yeah. She's an interesting love interest for Paro, except for the fact that it's, love, it's Paro having a female love interest, which just sucks. Right, which is just... Yeah. And then the end, spoiler positive if you don't hear it but like at the very end after everything's over he's going to a club where she's rehearsing to hear her sing and he shaved his mustache and you can see his scar what the fuck and so is it like I've now decided to be vulnerable with you but it's like Paro's mustache is his iconic mustache like but he shaved it off so like the camera cuts and he's like looks at the camera and he's like shaved his mustache and you can see the scar on his lip from his war times so she he's decided to be vulnerable and show his face scar it just like what and they kept they showed some of his fastidiousness like but then they kept being like oh you being a detective is just because you're avoiding love oh that's so dumb yeah it's so dumb so yeah so it's mixed. It's worth streaming if you're not gonna pay extra money for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wanted. I was curious. I'm more curious about Ask Evans, which is coming out soon on BritBox. I hope I get. I'm I'm really worried that um, they screw it up. They, they they keep the humor out. I know the casting of Bobby looks. Have you okay, seen? I'm excited for this. Oh, the other good thing about this was that Annette Benning is in it, and she's a delight. Really? What does she play? Yeah. Um, she plays. I think she's the mom of Book, who's Praro's friend. So, like, remember, there's a mother. It's kind of again similar to one of the stories. It's kind of similar to the Parker Pine thing, where there's uh, a mother daughter, or, or a, excuse me, a mother son okay. dynamic. And she disapproves of him liking Letitia Wright, but she does not say it for racist reasons. (laughs) She's like, I disapprove of him because I got divorced and love hurts. Well, (laughs) he dies anyway, so yeah. Way to disapprove, you know, not for racist reasons. Um, And she plays British, which I think she does decently, and it's funny, we were joking about the fact that, like, I think she plays who Emma Thompson should play, but that's... Ken right. Bruno's ex-wife, so it's not going to happen. So it can't happen. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah, I think she she does. She's a delight. So I like that. Well, and then good. Gal Gadot is doing like an accent that you're like, where is she supposed to be from? Like, is she playing Israeli? Is she playing? Because in the movie, in like in the original and in the original movie, she's American. 
Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. But in this, she definitely has an accent, not American. And I'm like, is this Israeli? Because I know that's what Gail Godot's background is. It's just, it's just, just exciting accent from places. Right. From places, yeah. Which um, Israel doesn't exist, you know. Um, I mean, it was a place to have an accent from, though. Fair, fair. <laughs> <laughs> there weren't people having accents from that region. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so I don't know what her background is supposed to be, but she definitely has a very strong accent from place. Well, it's very so, like, interesting. What is the backstory of you here? She is definitely hyped as star of this, but since I knew what character she was playing, the person who was killed to start the story, I mean, you know. Right, and again, I wanted her to kill those dresses, because that's what was cool, right, in the first one. We didn't know that actress, but she did wear these amazing dresses where you're just like, oh, I see. You're supposed to be the sun, and you overshadow the moon, right? That's the whole thing. Right, right. But not Um, so much. I don't know. I just felt like there was, like, one thing that was like, oh, that's a cute outfit. Wear that. You know what I mean? But it wasn't like these, like... Remember that I was that what I was like ranting about. It was like a J Lo neckline, like cut to her navel. Like, oh, I'm that's right. This. Right. Like I yeah. was dying for the wardrobe in the '70s version. In this one, I was just like, oh yeah, that's cute. That's a nice pantsuit. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> so, was, was anyways, I'm, I'm waiting for. It? Yeah. I'm I'm dying for you was. to see it. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm very curious now, um, but I'm prepared to hate the backstory because yeah. Or why don't we take um, a break? Sounds good. Okay. Okay. Okay, we're back. Okay, we're back. So we have a few more stories to get through, and it's Micro Machines time because we forgot to go fast. <laughs> these co- these collections. The collections. Okay. Yeah. So, so the next I one is like- the purple. The marble, it's adorable because it's in told entirely in her voice. Yes. No other people talk. And so a lot of her doing the woman, well, you know, I will say I did a good job, but I don't know. And then I thought, that... so I, it's, I hear Vivian talking the entire time. Right. Um, where she says, I don't know if I did a good job, but I just made an entire uh, Thanksgiving dinner by myself for, that could feed 30 people. But I don't know if it's good enough. You know, it kind of had that. Um, Okay, so so knowing that she's self-effacing the whole time. Yeah. um, Okay, Micro Machines, the plot. Okay. Uh, Guy married to a horrible woman who complained all the time about being sick, was staying in a hotel. They had different rooms. And she was stabbed and he was accused and he and his lawyer came to see Ms. Marple and asked for help. And he had a defense attorney who was totally going to say that the woman stabbed herself, which made no sense because that wasn't her um, point of view. Right. Like her thing it was a hypochondriac, but she wasn't um, suicidal at all. Um, and uh, so the they have solicitors and barristers and I don't quite understand, but whatever. Right. This lawyer was like, Hey, this defense attorney is just going to go on this one because he thinks it's the best way to get him off. But I don't think that's what the actual truth is. I wanted him to come see a specialist. And so that she listened to the whole 
detail and figured out that the wife was stabbed by a woman at the hotel who was disguised as a chambermaid. Right. And the reason, and so the, the raise, way that Miss Marple figured it out was that there was this ante room on the, so I guess the husband and wife had adjoining rooms and there was also this ante room to the wife's room where the chambermaid what was it like a toilet or whatever, like a small bathroom on the way in and out of the room. And I, even on re-listening, I didn't quite understand how the trips worked. But basically, the woman who wanted to kill her hid in this small room and dressed as a chambermaid. And the the crux of the mystery was based on the fact that you don't really look at the chambermaid. And so if one woman passes through as a chambermaid, you're going to assume it's the same chambermaid or you just don't really imprint on them. And it goes into that whole th- topic that's come up before about not looking at people when they're in the service role. And, and so apparently both uh, the, the husband and then people watching the doors, because apparently their two doors, their two rooms were around the corner from each other. Uh-huh. There was people who could see both doors and everyone said that the only people who came in and out or the chambermaid. So, and the husband was like, the only person who came in and out was the chambermaid. So Miss Marple figured out that the chambermaid, so this woman. I don't understand how the woman didn't, like how people didn't see the chambermaid going in and out multiple times. Right, because it sounded like the chambermaid went in the husband's and the woman dresses the chambermaid went in the wife's side, hid in the bathroom. And the chamber, real chambermaid went from the husband's side to the uh, wife's side. Wife side and left. And then the woman left, dressed as a maid, stabbed the wife, went through the husband's side and left. So that each side. Got it. Oh, yeah. Them. Okay. No, you did it for me. You did it better than the book okay. did. <laughs> okay. Now right. that part I get. And it's nice. And then she get you know she, and the reason uh, was she'd been getting these threatening letters from a woman but because she was kind of a hypochondriac type no one believed her because she was a terrible driver and had run over this woman's kid right she sounds like a horrible person yeah and you can't tell if the kid died or not but maybe something terrible happened either died or like terrible something yeah. terrible happened to the kid so the woman started stalking her and sending her threatening letters but because of who she was her husband was like sure dear that's just like you know you also have gallstones or whatever else is going on right right and so uh because he thought maybe she wrote the letters to herself because she was trying to seem more important right but right. anyway she was doing it for attention and so, so that... figure figures it out there was only two women there who were staying by themselves and one of them had very short hair which hair wig and dropped her g's when speaking and miss marple was like nobody actually talks like that in life so especially not under 60 right right so she was like if she's about 40 then that's her playing a role right so it was good. It was an interesting story. My question was, how did the woman who was planning this know that the chamber would go on the husband's side so she could go on the wife's side and hide? Because she, especially since both doors were watched by witnesses, how do you coordinate so that you don't peek around a corner 
prefer that the real chambermaid is going in the husband's side and you the other side and that you time right because it, right. it could have been like a glitch in the matrix where the chambermaid walks out and then the chambermaid walks out right afterwards like wait she just walked out of the same door twice which again right. maybe they wouldn't be paying attention and they just assume they missed it but somehow but was, she timed it perfectly so that the chambermaid went out the other and the killer went in the other out the one door so like right. that just seemed a little bit too like how do you that? it was right. a neat she couldn't solution. count on that yeah neat solution but i had a lot of like questions about how it would actually work right so that makes sense I, anyway um but um and then it, she was telling the story to her nephew and wife mm-hmm. and apparently the guy whose wife was killed is now married to somebody else and they're expecting a child and name it after miss marple or something or she's gonna Which, be the godparent or something yeah something like that yeah so anyway it was uh, it's a happy, cute one it's a super time. cute it's a super cute miss marple it was a cute one it was it, it was very on brand for her Right, um, and it ends with a super happy, fun ending. So, anyway, um, that was good. We did. We micro machines did. Yay! We did. We did. Okay, the next one is called the dream, and this one I'm gonna try. I'm gonna micro machines. You, you help me out, okay? Okay. So Praro gets a summons a letter from this. We would, you know, nowadays would be a billionaire. Uh-huh. Um who is an eccentric billionaire that everybody knows and he gets a summons to his house. So he gets there and he's brought in by the butler and he has to show the letter to prove who he is. And he goes in and this guy is famous for his flower dressing gown that he wears because he's kind of an eccentric type. Um, but when he goes in, the room is like weirdly bright so Paro can't really see. And the guy's he's acting got- weird and paranoid. He's got very, very thick glasses and a big nose. They talk right. about that. That that is all of that is famous. And so um he's acting paranoid and then he's like, I've called you here because I want to know what you know about if someone could hypnotize me to kill myself. And so basically he's been having a reoccurring dream where at a certain time, it's like three thirty four or something, he kills himself. He pulls out the, the gun from his drone, he kills himself. And Praro's like, no, I've never heard of that as a way to kill someone. And the guy's like, okay, fine. And Praro wants to see the room where this, where the dream takes place, but he won't show it to him because he's in his secretary's room and he says, nope, that's it. Hand me the letter that I in- invited you with. And Praro does, but that is, as he's leaving, he realizes that he gave the guy the wrong letter. He gave him a letter of apology from his dry cleaner for messing up his clothes. Who gets a letter of apology from a dry cleaner? QQ Paro. Okay, because is that a thing? <laughs> I mean, I don't have a dry cleaner um, that I know by name because I, I dry clean things so rarely, but also yeah, okay. <laughs> um, and so anyways, he realizes he gave him the wrong letter and the guy hadn't realized it, so he goes back and he's like, oh, I gave you the wrong letter and they switch it out. So then... The next day or two, Praro gets a call from the police. So we're like, hey, did you just, uh, or from the medical examiner. who was like, hey, did you just see this guy? He had a letter from you and he just killed himself. So Praro goes there and he tells the story of 
um, meeting the guy and him telling the story of the recurring dream. And basically the characters are the police and medical examiner and then the guy's wife, his personal secretary, who's man, um, the butler, who's a very proper English butler, and the daughter. Who's only like two years younger than the wife. Eight years younger than the wife, but yeah. Oh, okay. I could. Still not enough. Right. Who's, you know, it sounds like she's an older teenager, the daughter. Yeah. And yeah, she. Because she wants to get married, so she's probably a young adult. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so they basically, the guy had done just like he had told to Poirot, and he had killed himself in the room. And so um, they're doing the whole thing where they're like, that is so crazy. I can't believe that he had this dream about that happening. And then he actually killed himself. And then Prabhupada interviews everybody. He interviews the wife and the secretary and the daughter. And, and then he's like, so I was brought here just to be able to tell the story. Mm-hmm. And the letter had to be left behind. And why couldn't, why didn't he Hello, notice that I gave him the wrong letter when he right. was wearing his glasses? And it's because the solution is the secretary was impersonating him and was wearing a false nose and wearing his famous dressing gown and wearing his glasses. Um, and so he told this whole story to make Paro be able to back up this tale because the wife and the secretary were in love. Right. So And it's... he figured it out because the daughter was like, yeah, my dad was the worst, but he would never have killed himself. And he, he didn't have a gun. Himself. But basically, right. the, the, the verification for this suicide dream story came from the wife and from Praro's experience. And for him having a gun came from the wife and Praro's experience. And so basically, Praro was there to back up that whole story but he was too smart for that. And the way he was killed was a nice and genius like way. Oh yeah, yeah, explain that. So an office, so he was a rich guy who had this office um, that looked out over a wall of his factory. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a nothing, you know, it didn't you um and so at some point he says i think that this is important and somebody's like it's psychologically um so he had a buddy on this that you didn't mention examiners it was a doctor who was a friend of his right. who was the one who called him so was he he fulfilled the hastings role right but anyway so um so the guy was in his office and to reporters outside waiting to talk to him about some murder very rarely had reporters there so the reporters were there and the secretary came and handed some papers to the guy and he said to the reporters i gotta do a thing um i'll come back in the dream he had told Poirot during the that it was happening at exactly around 3 30 i can't remember it's 3 28 or something yeah um and so they were there at three and then they're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And then the secretary comes back and is surprised. And we now know that he did it and goes, oh, 
here and then goes in and finds the guy dead. So the reporters, and he'd been dead for a while, you know, cold. And so the reporters could say that nobody had gone into his office during that time, so it must have been a suicide. So Poirot was like, well, he had the, so he was an old guy and he had one of those uh, stretchy things, like, um, oh God, um, lazy Susan tongs. So you squeeze them and they go way out so you can pick up stuff off the floor. Yeah. And so he had We use those, those in therapy, like an adaptive reacher. I can't remember right. what they called them in the thing, but yeah. And so he had one of those and so Poirot figured that his office did have a window that could see his secretary's um, office window. Like there must have been a corner like uh-huh. this cor- it overlooked a courtyard wall of factory but also wall um, from the other side of offices and so the secretary used those adaptive research reachers that's a much better name for but Do they call they them tongs like, they called them tongs but it was like yeah. the stretchy tongs and put something up against the window which so was a guy, it was like a stuffed cat because the guy hated cats, right? And so he went, "What the hell?" and went and leaned out of the window, and the secretary who had a gun shot him, and then waited for an hour. Yeah, and then he could be like, "Whoa, he was shot an hour alibi," because I never left my office, right? Um, and. And then had these two witnesses sitting who were, could say nobody came in and out, especially not the secretary. Dun, dun, right. dun. So that was a kind of a cool, um, you know, solution to the mystery. And then I last line when he like figures out who did it, he's like, this, the reason for was lots and lots of money and two hearts that beat as one. And uh, Paula Abdul comes to <laughs> two hearts, two hearts, feed. Is it Paula Abdul? Uh, um, someone from that era. Tiffany. I mean, like, yeah, it was... he, he says that line, two hearts that beat is one. And so, of course, I have to. According to the A's. internet, it's Stacey Q. Okay. I... <laughs> well, I do love that you. Also oh, remember? Oh, no, no. Remember? Look at this. This is the way it's written on the lyrics. Uh, 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 I need, I need you. It's written out. Uh, 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 I need you. Uh, 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 I need, I need you because. Yes. Uh, yeah. If you asked me if there was a recording artist named Stacy Q, I would say no. But we know that song, so it must have been a one-hit wonder situation. Yep. Yep. Anyway, so um, <laughs> sounded very Paul Abdul Tiffany to me too. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but so she he does finish the whole story with two hearts that beat as one. As you know, so but, my uh, take home from this is like when you're going to commit a murder, don't pull in Praro to be your corroborating person, because he's gonna figure it out. Right. Like stop, stop involving Praro. When you want to get away with murder, it's not a good idea. 
So this next one is a big departure in a way that you're just like, I don't know where to find all this. Right? Right. And it's from 34. So of the co- books in the story of this collection, it was um, in a st- story actually quite a while ago, like 10 years earlier. Not Have like we then. done that one that was a compilation of spooky stories? Uh, no, I just read that separately. Okay, because this reminded me of that because it's like, right? It's that spooky. Has... Right. It's creepy, that... and it has a supernatural element to it. Is that the collection that has the doll story in it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> nope. That's a big fat nope for me. That <laughs> I was like, yep, nope. Yeah, so this one is, yeah, it's, it's very different than even, like I said, we're like, Parker Pine is like this, and we don't want him to be like Praro, but whether it's Parker Pine, Mr. Quinn, Praro, Marble, this is a totally different thing. Right, because it's not even like, I could see this being a, a, Harley, uh, a Mr. Quinn-ish. It could have been a Mr. Yeah, Quinn. Yeah, Mr. Quinn, if anything. But is there to kind of help guide you and Satterwaith to kind of ground you but this one is just it's from the point of view of a dude yeah so what happens is and you're going to help me clean me up because I'm going to miss a lot of the details so this guy is staying I believe at a country home as one does (laughs) yeah and he's getting ready to go to dinner or whatever and he sees in the mirror of his room this vision of a man strangling a woman. And then he, like, you know, looks away, looks back, and it's gone. There was nothing there. But he asked his host if there's a door behind, you know, the mirror where he was looking. He was like, yeah, there's a door that we don't use. That This is an adjoining room to another room on the other side. And who's staying there is this woman who our narrator is very attracted to. Hold up. Hold up. I have to correct. Thank you. Yeah. Cl- fix okay. me up. Cause this is well, just what I remember. So he was going to stay with a buddy from college war, some kind of like we bonded, but he'd never met the family. And, um, is this so, his sister? Yeah. And so he'd met, he was, this is his buddy who knows well because college, but um, and so he'd gotten, hadn't met anybody yet. And he was looking at himself in the weir and the door opens behind him and he says something like, I didn't turn around. Why? And it opened on the scene of somebody being choked, of this woman being choked by a guy that has a scar going down the right side of his face. And he turns around to save her. It's just a wall. And then his friend is like, okay, uh, I thought his friend said that there was no door. And what he said is the woman who stayed there, this young, beautiful woman in the next room. And the guy's like, no, it's this old couple. And he's like, okay, never mind." But then like five minutes later, he meets the dude's sister and he's like, oh my God, that's the woman I saw being choked. And then meets her fiance. God, He has a scar down the right side of his face. Right. And so he's like, well, fuck. Now what do I do? So he apparently falls in love with her immediately. Right. So there's all sorts of drama. Because, like, I love you. Also, I think I saw your fiance you. 
so he was like I can't tell her that because I also and it sounds like I'm just trying to like turn her against her fiance right so he eventually does tell her right on the last day right before he leaves he's like I saw your your fiance yeah joking bye yeah and she does cut off the relationship with her fiance at some point after that right and then they go to war Right. So like so then time be... passes. Right. And so since this was 34, so this must have been about the first one, 20 years earlier. Yeah. So then the war happens and he comes back and he does, like, no, they don't get together for a long time, but then at some point he ends up wooing her and they end up together. Well, what happens was, is her, he had been like, I don't, I feel because you broke it off with that fiance I said was going to choke you. So I feel weird to talk to you. But then her brother dies. That was his best friend. Oh, right. And so then they're like, this sucks. We need to bond. Oh, let's fall in love. Right. And so they do fall in love and they get married. And Agatha Christie has fascinating definition of a marriage going wrong. And it's so interesting. And again, I think that like her and knowing that we're jumping around in time that this was written a little bit earlier and you'll you'll tell me where that is on her timeline but this is definitely like that disillusionment of love so in the this case you know he loves her so much they get married but then because he loves her so much he goes insane and so like he he is constantly telling himself how she's going to cheat on him and how she's never going to be happy with him. And she, he's super jealous and crazy. And then when a certain man comes along, he is like, that's the guy. That's the guy. He's perfect for her. Like he does it. He didn't even like wait to see signs of her being interested. He just decides this guy is so perfect for her and just decides to be crazy about this man and her. And, and he's describing himself in a way that was really interesting where he kept on saying I knew I was pushing her hair away but I couldn't help it yeah like I gave her no choice I was possessed we weren't having any fun I just was jealous all the time and it was driving and it was just really interesting way of like describing a dysfunctional relationship but from the point of view of the guy be jealous right it was so interesting to hear someone say that in first person who's just like i know that i'm doing this but i'm doing this help it and i just it's making me crazy so he was both crazy but then also like self-aware and able to report on the fact that like i know that i'm the one that's doing this right and oh we forgot to say that when he was at war he got hit a couple of times, including he got a scar on the left side of his face. Right. Uh, and so then she finally pulls away and says, hey, look, right, leaves him a note and says, I'm going to go be with the person I need to be with. And the person he, who I need and needs me or something like that. Right. Um, then he goes cr- chasing after finds her at the same house the first house it must be like her parents house right because right that was his friend's house finds her and starts to choke her 
and then like, catches like with crazy angry rage and then catches a glimpse of the mirror and he's the guy with the scar it's exactly that scene that he'd seen but because it's a mirror the scar was on the opposite side of the face so the scar was his own scar which he didn't have yet when he had the vision and then that shook him out stopped and like was like oh my god what the hell is going on? sorry i've turned to this guy and it turns out and then the weird was- conclusion is not that like i want it, the conclusion of the dinner party to be this where they're just like you want to press charges no go get out of here man that's what i want for this oh, i really? want her to be like okay that was wild uh just leave me alone never find me again but instead, it's the beginning of their happily ever after. But he was like, because of that, because I didn't kill her, now everything's great, and I'm never, I'm no longer jealous because I saw the error of me being crazy and almost killing her, and yeah, we're just so happy now. And I was like, no, I don't like this ending. <laughs> like well, once see- you try to kill me, I'm gonna have my rock bottom moment and be like, you know what? <laughs> I'm gonna move to someplace that you don't know where to find me um, and have a nice life. Like, I did not like them having a super happy fun times ending. Yeah. After yeah. he like and he was her- already crazy and abusive and then after yeah. once he tried to actually string her and only stopped because of the premonition he'd had had and seeing that. But he was in the moment to kill her. Right. But this and- magical moment of oh I didn't kill you stopped his jealousy which i also right. don't buy right yeah it was i don't know i don't know uh, i didn't like I, the happy i thought it was a cool story but i didn't like the happy ever after and, like, and then it was fine by the way the note that she had left for him was that she was going to go with her other brother the surviving brother was the one that she needed her she needed oh yeah i was trying to was it her other brother or was it her mom but it was definitely yeah. a family member when she said the one who needs me that I need was a family yeah. member. Which yeah. is why she was back at her family's home. Right. She wasn't with the person that he thought that she was with. Right. But I don't know, because this one I, at the end, because again, like the Miss Marple story, this is entirely from his point of view. Entire first person. Like he's telling a story um, to someone. And so he's like did i see the future? did i see my future did i see the other first future if i hadn't and she'd stayed with that other guy would he have tried to choke like is what was it and yeah it never- brought up a lot of questions like yeah this this vision if i hadn't talked him out of her out of marrying him would this have happened with him or did, is it because i talked to her out of marrying him did this happen with me Right, was the woman born to be choked? Like it was a know, it was like, a very like um, time warp, you know, kill your grandfather sort of like if I hadn't done that, would this even have happened? Sort of thing. Right, right, yeah. But then to end up like after that moment of crazy abuse, everything was fine, and I was like, I don't like that. But That's I also, yeah, but it was also to have somebody who had that much level of jealousy have this you know and it's like i didn't mind the ending but you didn't mind the ending like once someone actually almost killed you well you could like 
be with them. I minded the whole story. Like, you know, like the whole thing didn't make any sense to me. Like, right, but then, so, but then at some point, the woman has free will. Right, right. And so you're a woman who's like, husband is being crazy jealous. You go to be with your family. He finds you and like freaks out and almost kills you. And then like has a come to Jesus moment where he doesn't kill you. Right. Now that's when I, mean, I say, um, these are the police. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not. I've I've done a restraining order, and yeah. I'm yeah. going to witness protection. Like, I'm not gonna. Be like, I'm so glad we got through that rough patch, babe, where you almost right. killed me. I fair, fair. The only thing, because this whole story annoys me, and I don't, I can't really put my finger out now. So it's not just the. That's funny. I guess. The whole but thing I doesn't think, annoy me. But I, why does it, the whole thing annoy you? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Okay, so she's trying to attack up uh, outside. I think um, cause she's when we were on break, I got back before you, and so she was like walking in front of the camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there must be a cat out. It's very excited to see. Oh, yep, I see it. Um. Oh, you go, Sushi. You go. Um, anyway. Um, so Wait, the- so it's not, it's not the ending up with the abuser that bothers you. So what is it that bothers you? The way that he said I fell in love with her, but then I was crazy jealous of her. That part bothers me. And Why does that bother you? I don't know. I'm trying to think about how do I can articulate it. Like it's not realistic or you don't like it to be portrayed? I was thinking not realistic. I mean, because obviously I've known people who are crazy jealous. Um, Yeah, I'm just... Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out what what bugs me about this. I think I like stories... Like in the Matrix, when she says, "Don't worry about the vase," when the Oracle says, "Don't worry about the vase," and then he knocks over the vase, and she says, "What a really cooker noodle is later, you'll wonder if I hadn't said something, would you have even broken?" Right. I, that's where, and that's basically the what he the comment he says when he's like, "Would this even have happened if I had not the so vision I, in the hole?" Right. Right. So I liked that, but I guess I would have preferred. Yeah, I don't know, because it's like I that aspect, any kind of storytelling can be really interesting. Um, uh, but this particular story, I didn't. Yeah, I don't know. It just wasn't my favorite one, and I'm trying to figure. And for Wii U, it wasn't because <laughs> she ends up with her abuser at the end. I know why I didn't like. It. Right, <laughs> right. For you. Yeah, I mean, I guess because I. Yeah, the whole thing was weird. So, did you... Yeah, so you just, like, didn't like the end. I just thought it was very odd. But it, like, the... Um... I mean, I liked... Actually, I don't mind the creepiness of it. Like, that's kind of cool. Like, and, and the, like, you, I, I'm, that's a perfect analogy, that Matrix moment, where, like, would this even have happened? How, what did, like, you know, when you when you're thinking in magical mechanisms what is the magical mechanism that made him foresee his own choking of her? You know, what, 
I, I like the mystery around that. I like the questions it brings up for me. I like all of that. I love, I actually liked all of it. I just don't like the fact that it's like, and then have super happy fun times after I almost killed you. Like, no, it's kind of like, Fair. I so want the, if... I want the ending, ending to be sad and, and French depressing. I want the ending to be, and then she left me. Oh, see, and, what if... and then what... I had to ask myself if I hadn't had that vision. Would I? And, yeah. and it is better to have loved her and almost killed her. And then she left me. Or what if I had just let her marry her original love, like which would have been better? Like I want him to be alone thinking of this and not just being like, and then I didn't kill her, so it's fine. Like no, you don't get that. Well, what if? What if? I'm trying to decide if I like this scenario better. What if instead of seeing a guy with a choking her, what if he saw a guy with a scar holding a over a woman who had been shot on the bed, and then same story happens. And then he shoots her, and that's the end of the story. And he realizes the scar shoots her. End of story. Would we? Would you like it better? It ended. From I mean, only because it it does all the things that I said that I liked, but doesn't have her choosing to stay with an abuser. But she's dead, so I can't really be happier. <laughs> well, no, it's not happier. I mean, because this is not a happy story. Um, I was just no. I think I think you're right. I think that would be a cooler, creepy ending, where he looks over, or like you know, I I like that you change it to a gun because we don't want to see someone choke someone to completion. Right, right. Gun but seems he, less graphic. Right. But, if he just saw that and then was like, but yeah, but if if, if she did die and he realizes that that was the vision he had, I I like that and it like makes it much worse on the Bechdel scale because right. again she's just a like <laughs> she's just a right. prop for his emotion which she is basically this whole time right because this is she's from a prop. his point of view like he never even um, yeah but you're right I think that makes me I like it better as a story but I don't like it better as a story <laughs> <laughs> yeah because I think that my my wanting someone to root for in is that my what I just said my scenario where I just if we did this whole thing from the point of view guy and he ends up killing the story I'd probably be like fuck well now shit what do I do I was having sympathy for this guy and then he ah like it leaves you which is like, why which is why for me the rooting for thing I want the, the woman to be like so you just trying to kill me I'm not going to press charges, or I am going to press charges. Or now he's in jail having this question. Right. Like, I I want to root for the girl. Right. Fair. Right. But since we never hear her voice, we only hear about her through his eyes, which is clearly distorted. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a weird one. It's a weird one. I'm fascinated that your your alternative was just kill her. <laughs> well, she was just a prop. You know, instead of having them end up together, let's just kill her. <laughs> it's better. Well, she was a prop in the story anyway, so if we're going to make it end dark. But, end but dark. what happens in real life, and okay, I'm gonna, I feel like I sound like my mother right now, but <laughs> is that in these guys' heads, the women are the props, but these women are people. 
Right. You know what I'm saying? That like in someone else's story, I'm a prop. And in my own story, I'm the main character. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And yeah. so it's not a different story. It's the same story. It's just that like the other person just sees me as a prop. Right, right, right. Yeah. And it's interesting because this always happens to you where you're just like, oh, I got to know the character for 10, you know, for a chapter before she died. And so now I'm sad for the whole book versus if you never hear their voice, you're fine. This is, it's just, it's oh, just, it, it's interesting Very perspective true. on you because I was identifying with this woman without hearing her voice. That's true. It probably means I'm But a I jerk. think that's, that's, no, it's not your jerk. It's just, it's just that, like, I think that's you as a consumer. You're just like first person or hearing their dialogue or whatever it is that gets you in. Right, right. Because you just hear about a person, they don't, they're that not persons involve... yet. Yeah, yeah. And it makes me okay that I, that they die. Yeah, it's so true. Because you're like, yeah, yeah let's just kill her. <laughs> like, wait a minute. Well, I don't want her to be in a really abusive relationship. And now you just wanted to kill her. How is that better? <laughs> Well, I think because it's, I was thinking, hey, let's go full noir. Like, let's just go like yeah. this kind of story that, you know, where everything ends sad. For all the offices that you had to walk into. You had to walk right. Into. Right. <laughs> right. It, is, it like, is very noir. Right. But also this weird, like, supernatural kind of thing. Which again, I like it when she plays with that because I feel like the rest of the time, you know, Praro and Marple are so logical and there's nothing spiritual or supernatural. So I like it when she goes there. Yeah. Yeah. We're not looking for that. Right. Yeah. But she could definitely go the creepy. When I get to that compilation with the doll, I'll have to really gird my loins in order to read that one again because it's it's been decades since i've read that one and it still sticks with me did you say gird your loins i did say gird my loins. <laughs> how are you gonna gird them i'm going to clench my pelvic floor <laughs> kegels kegels the whole way through that's gird your loins is that what they a, meant yes you just said I'm going to have to gird my lines. All right, we got the last one. We've made it through. We are micro-machinesing. We're doing this. Okay. What's so the, last the last one? Is Paro again. It's Paro again. And again, similar to the one with the woman who got stabbed in the hotel room, she hates hypochondriacs. Oh, she does. She hates a controlling, needy, hypochondriac wife because they always deserve to die. Oh, like yeah. speaking of that, speaking of props in this book, so let's set this set set the scene. I they're on a cruise. Sell Seattle by the seashells. <laughs> <laughs> they're on a cruise. They're on a cruise, and it's not bird. It sounds like a because at first I was imagining like a pretty small cruise, like Death on the Nile cruise. Um, no, I think this that, is a Titanic situation. Yeah, this the more like especially the the big reveal at the end. I'm like, oh, this is a big. This yeah. is like a cruise cruise. This is so. Like this is Praro on a cruise, which is stupid because he hates the sea. Very stupid. Um, and it's Praro interacting with different British people on this cruise. There's, uh, he meets a woman who is our age, um, who manages to get an older um 
guy with a military title to rant about this one <laughs> colonel. Um, right. Because this current guy is a colonel and he um, doesn't have any actual experience in the military, but he's very attractive. And then this yeah, guy, apparently he was like in the band in the war or something. Right. It was, he got ended up in the hospital of this lady, somebody with a title, and she managed to marry him, give him a bunch of money, um, and... Uh, and he's younger than her. Younger and more attractive than her, and because of her help, he managed to get some more title and ranking in the military or something. Right. And then we meet, so we've met, and then we meet uh, the guy who's charming and good-looking, and is enjoying talking to the woman who was our age who started the the gossip. And then we meet his wife. And then the description of her is very interesting because, you know, Agatha Christie, where she says, from far away, she could have been a possible 27. From close up, she did not look her actual 43 years, but like 50. 53 years. Yeah. yeah, it was something like that. And then um, this really weird conversation where Poirot is like, yes, you're so youthful. Yes, you. I can't believe how you... Oh, she's doing you. the thing, and I have this co-worker who is this person. Literally this person is my co-worker. <laughs> Down to the hypochondria and all the like, everyone says I'm just amazing at this. Can you believe that? And so you end up like, like Poirot being like, Oh yes, you are so amazing. I can't believe it. You're just saying the thing that they're prompting you to say, and you're just like a social cue. Right, right. And... Um, and so, so yeah, so you understand that she's just like, oh, everyone says, you know, I need to rest more, but they just say, oh, you're just so young and active. No one can believe that I'm 43 because everyone thinks I'm a day over 23, which is not true. Um. And he's just like, oh, yes, madame, that is exactly what I was about to say. Not at all. But he and says it she, because... And then she's like, I just have to live life to the fullest because if you're not alive, what would you be? And Poirot goes, dead. <laughs> <laughs> and she's totally offended and walks off. It was such a great thing where she's just like, something that she said a million times to somebody like right if i'm not alive what would i be or if it, not with a southern accent but that's where my accents always go <laughs> and he's like dead and she's like what and then she's like you know english sensibilities is offended or whatever so this woman is up to get a rich woman who owned a hospital so i think i don't really understand these things but i think that like during the war maybe people would open up their private estates to be a hospital yeah, yeah, exactly. So she's rich and had a hospital in the war. And that's where she met the husband because he was there invaliden. Yeah. And and they uh they got close. And so, she had all the money and he was young and attractive. And what we yeah. see from her character is that like, you know, she's walking through like so and so, where is he? So and so. Um and then she's just like you know, hypochondriacing and he's just like doting on her but the wild I'm... thing is is that like at some point the older military guy says to Praro like you know something about murdering him 
her would be understandable for the husband. And then after she does die, spoiler, Prabhupada's like, everyone agreed that she should be slaughtered. And I was like, I mean, she was annoying. And again, like, I have a coworker like this. She's annoying. But like, I don't you think don't she should be killed. And if, and, if, and if their partner killed them, I wouldn't be like, well, yeah, that totally makes sense. I'm like, no, she's just <laughs> she's, yeah, being annoying. annoying. And so when, when Prara was like, the consensus was that every single person was like, she should be, you know, her neck should take be wrong. I was like, no, 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 seems... take a hatchet to her. Take, take a, a hatchet, hatchet to her, right? Like, that's so graphic. Right. And I was like, and... she was needy and attention-seeking. Yeah, there like, was a, a And scene... like, self-grandiose. But like, there was nothing in there that I was like, oh, someone should kill her. She also like, seemed to so the fact that Prowell co-signed that made me uncomfortable. Yeah, she also apparently rubbed in her husband's face that he didn't have the money she did because there was a scene where he was constantly doting on her, no matter what she did. And there's a scene where they were having a conversation about different kinds of cars, and he goes, "Well, my car, for instance," and she goes, "Well, my car, actually," and he goes, "Yeah, yeah, your car," and then finishes the story, and it isn't bothered at all by the fact that she. Um, right and again that's annoying and that's like right it's there's adjectives for that like the way that you 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 flaunting your power over a partner because you're the person with the purse strings that's annoying and abusive but like i don't like yeah you're right when when faro says everyone says everyone it would be understandable for him to take a hatchet to her i'm like or just divorce. That's fine. There's so many more options besides the hatchet. Right, right. So I was I was thinking about it, looking at that one and the other one where the woman was stabbed. Who right. was a hypochondriac, attention-seeking person. I was like, I think Christy hates those people. Like, right. It makes you wonder. Big like, thing to you know. She, she yeah. There. She's working out some issues about someone. Working out, yeah. It's like, a, it's like I have to kill this person over something close over. to home where she's just like, and she deserves to die. I'm like, <laughs> or maybe she just needs therapy and like, you know, right? Or separate yourself from somebody toxic, you know? Right? Yeah, just yeah, just exactly. You you can you can cut off ties. You don't have to hatchet everybody who's attention seeking. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so the murder itself was again pretty ingenious so like the guy very ingenious so the attractive colonel guy who has the horrible wife um has been flirted with by the woman who was more his age right there so there's a woman who's our age you know young 40s um who and i say that as a lie about both of us um um but there's a woman who's you know a sprightly 40s um who you know is flirting with him and he's enjoying her attention and then there's some a couple of young women like 20s yeah who are like running around and being like oh his wife is the worst we're gonna save him and they're girls going wildly around him and then there's a moment where his the wife is playing bridge or something with some other the other people on the um ship and Praro walks around and finds this oh this is fascinating and he's um hanging out with these two young women and says something like your wife says you won't play bridge and he says 
well, it's not that I can't. And then he deals a hand to Perot, the two girls, and himself, and he gives everybody exactly one um, one suite of cards. Um, and so, uh, like, he clearly knows how to cheat. And we knew card. from before that he was somehow, like, somehow in like performing, because that's how he ended up in the in the band in the military that he was in performing, and so maybe he knows card tricks and stuff. And so he was basically saying like. I can't play bridge because I know how to do this. So no one would ever trust me dealing. Right. And so then like the next, so now this is where, cause up to this point, they were all on the Lido deck or something. Like it was a small group of people. Like we weren't, there was only like 10 people that we'd heard of. Right. But, but then the cruise ship arrives at some place, some place where we get to throw in some random races. Alexandria. Oh, Alexandria. Okay. I remember. It was Alexandria, not Virginia, but Egypt. Egypt, yes. But that's why I remembered it. Because <laughs> I was like, I go to Alexandria, but not in Egypt, only in Virginia. Um, but then we get to have, you know, uh, random racism. Not random. I mean, specific <laughs> racism. Um, but they're. Um, Unnecessary, you mean. <laughs> yeah, although it's again her using people's racist assumptions in order to it's like, true in this case she did sort of use the people's yeah so anyway the colonel is out and um the woman who is our age who i had the most sympathy for um was gonna go out and uh go on shore and go and go to the visit the vendors and go shopping in alexandria or whatever right um, but then she stops and sees the two young women with the colonel and turns around is like never mind i'm not going because she wanted to go with the cute colonel right um but then the two young women are like why don't you come with us and he's like oh maybe uh let me go check with my wife and he goes to the door and, and that's been the dynamic the whole time is that like she will she holds tight leash on him to be like what he can and cannot do right he goes and knocks on the door and says, you know, and she's like, what? Leave me alone. I don't, I didn't sleep well. And he's like, can I go to the shore? And she's like, whatever. Right. Um, and then he tries the door and he, and she says, what? It, cut that out. It's locked. It's locked. I don't want to. It's locked. I don't, I don't want anyone to disturb me. Yeah. And so then the, the um, two young women say, do you have your passport? And he goes, yeah, it's in my pocket. It should have been a clue right there. Um, and then his hat was on his head, so he goes on shore, and then he comes back. And apparently, their their room was right next to Pro Rose or something, or her right. room, the mm-hmm. wife's room. And so then he comes back, knocks, and can't get anybody. And then goes to get a porter and says, "My w- wife isn't answering." Oh, because she never made an appearance all day on the ship because Poro didn't go to shore, which again doesn't make sense because Poro hates Right, he hates the sea, so why didn't he go ashore? But whatever. Um, And then uh, they open the door and she's there, stabbed to the heart, and some of the beads that were being sold by some vendors in Alexandria were on the floor, which is the dumbest clue. You know? And then Someone says something super racist to Prara. Was it the, I can't remember if it was the middle-aged woman or the old colonel says. I think it was the old military guy was like, which one of these brown people did it? Like, almost literally. Coffee-colored. Oh, God. Coffee-colored brutes. That's what he says. Where you're just like, 
Okay. Oh, yeah. So it was just awful. But... A bit, but like you said, this was one of the times when Agatha Christie is using the racist assumptions against because like the, the white people are assuming that like some random black person went on and killed this man because there was money missing. Right, right. Oh yeah, there was money missing. So then... Um, and Prowro's have... not buying any of that. So then the reveal is really quick. Because they go and have dinner and they have the guy come and he looks super sad. The husband come and he looks like broken. But it's a dinner of... I, it seemed like it was a huge dinner with a lot of people. Because again, now instead of picturing the death on the Nile, I'm picturing Love Boat. You know, like <laughs> how, how many people are at dinner? Is it 100? Right. Is it 50? You know, but it's a lot. Right. And then... Um, so Poirot stands up to make a speech in front of all these people. A lot of them were like, a woman what? died. Yeah, like... Right, they weren't and, even involved. And he brings out a little doll. Speaking of creepy dolls. And says, do you have anything to add? And then the doll says, what is it? Whatever his name is, the f- husband's name. The door's locked. I don't want to be disturbed. Like the the voice of the wife, the doll spoke with it, and then the husband stands up, croaks, and I mean, like goes, uh, makes a croaking sound and dies of a heart attack. <sighs> yes, because because we can't have the murderers ever go to jail. Um, right, he literally died then, of a heart attack. And Paro did that on purpose. Because, and he goes and talks to... Um, right, whereas in Perry Mason, that would just make the person confess. In this story, it literally makes this young, virile man die of a heart attack by being ex- accused in public. Well, okay, she, he wasn't, I mean, he was probably in his early 40s. She was in his early Sometimes 50s. I, I would say early 40s is young and virile. Fair, fair. Okay. It wasn't a seventy-year-old that you could like fair. shock into dying. Yeah. Like so today, then... if you accuse me of some stuff that I did in public, I'd be you... horrified. I'll spiral. <laughs> I might do some vague booking and then delete it. <laughs> I'm not gonna die. Fair. I'm so, gonna but... drink a bottle of wine, be underneath my bed, but like, right? Oh, right. die. Yeah. literally died just from being accused but apparently he was taking digitalis right there was a um, whole thing about digitalis but so praro knew he had a weak heart because he saw in her eye in his eyes that he had right his eyes were pinpricks and sh- and she didn't have any sign of it even though she was the one who was like i have a bad heart praro was like no you're not the one taking digitalis because i don't see it in your eyes so he knew that this guy had a bad heart. So he purposely set him up. But how the murder was done. Okay, so is... maybe that's true. Maybe if I had a heart condition and you shamed me publicly, then I would just keel over. Yeah. Um, but how the murder happened was the dude <laughs> killed his wife and left the stuff as a blind to be super racist and say one of them did it. Um, left the beads. And then shut the door, locked it, I mean, and then got witnesses, which was Paro plus these two. Right, and I'm thinking it's going to be a gramophone. 
not a gramophone because that's happened we've used that before yeah we have yeah and the merger of roger Ackroyd. yeah but this one comes back to his performing background and him being like i don't know if vaudeville is the right time for this but he was a ventriloquist he had enough like he could deal the cards and he could do ventriloquism so, so that's how he made her voice say all those things after she was already dead. So that way he had an alibi because we heard her talk and he, and then, yeah. So that's how it's done. Now, if you've ever seen a ventriloquist in real life, you can't make sound. When I first read this, I was thinking, wow, that's amazing. But then I got to understand more about how theater works. And you can make the sound like someone, but you can't make the sound come from a different place. (laughs) Which is funny, because I think that, like, to me, it's almost like the quicksand thing, or, like, there's this image in media that, like, quicksand exists have you have you heard about this for like it's yeah. a major fear because like it's in the media right because we watch and i i remember all, learning yeah. the term throwing your voice for ventriloquism so i right. growing up in the 80s thought that not only could you mimic someone's voice but you could throw it like you could literally make it come from another space so while i think you're correct I would say that conventional wisdom of this time before, you know, 50 years before I was coming up because I definitely grew up with the thought that like you could throw you, one could like take a voice and throw it across the room and make it come from somewhere else. Cause throwing your voice was a term that I heard. Right. This is true. This is true. And so so why I think you're right in like a Bill Nye, really think about this kind of way as a plot i think it's not a terrible solution because well you know from our current understanding that makes no sense but i mean as in a quicksand to... world maybe you could but also like if he was at the door and he was turning and his back was to the people and they were a couple of feet behind him um right he could use his regular voice like he's talking to her and use her voice and it would sound like it was coming from behind the door. But if the people who were with him, because they talk about how one of the young girls says, oh, why don't you come with us? And gets close enough to the door to say that to the wife. Right. You're right. It's more plausible the further away they are. Because like even like when... I'm guessing ventriloquism was a thing and you would go see one on stage. Part of the reason it works is because they're on stage and that's far, you know, that's 20 to 30 feet from the audience. Right. Right. So you're right. It probably makes a difference if the, if people were right next to him. So I think that that bothered me more this time that if the, one of the girls came up to the door and said, why don't you come with us? And then she responds, no, I don't feel well. If she's next to the dude and right, she's gonna hear that coming from his throat. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so, but that's a that's a minor quibble that like you could set it up. Well, and also I think the whole thing of like, again, when I've 
getting I'm I'm pulling on some deep eighties memories here. So <laughs> like what I think about ventriloquist is that they do a dummy voice for their doll that is the voice that that doll has. Uh-huh. But these people know his wife. So you're not mm-hmm. only doing a throat voice. Right. But you're impersonating a specific person's voice that everybody knows that voice, which seems harder to do with your mouth closed. Right. And you're throwing right. it and you're right. doing it from your throat and you're making it sound just like the, the woman that they actually know, which is different than like the dummy sitting on your knee that just has a different voice than yours. Right. Right. So again, if he was, had his back to them and yeah. So ventriloquism. Yeah. It's Cause yeah. So, but I'm just saying again for the time. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not going to criticize it that much. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, because like, again, I was ready for it to be a gramophone, but then again, that wouldn't work well if the if the people said anything off script. Right, because then you don't have anything. Yeah, exactly. So, but and, and like him having been a performer and having like he can ask card dealing tricks, like you know him kind of being like a a magician kind. Yeah, what's the term for a circus person? Uh, I feel like there's a term yeah. like towny, but for like carny, carny. Thank you. It's <laughs> like car- carnival person, like like kind of being a carny where he's got like a bunch of whole bunch of skills. Right, right. Like that kind. I think that was kind of a cool solution. It is. It is. Yeah. But him just I, dying I, of like he has he was bold enough to do all of that, but then like Cabrera pars him out and he croaks. Well, and then like the. <laughs> the lady who I had more sympathy for is like super sad because he's dead and is like, you did that on purpose. Cause, but, and he goes, yeah, I did. Him? Yeah. I did do that on purpose. I knew he was taking digitalis. I thought that might happen. And she was like, that's cruel. And he's like, I don't approve of murder, you know? Oh, Pro-ro. Um, he doesn't approve of murder. He doesn't approve of murder. So Except for um, the one where he was like, that was an awesome murder. Right. <laughs> it was in this but, one. Right, right. So um anyway, so so the ending is her being like sad because that guy is dead. Um you you'd think she might be sad because that guy turned out to be a lying murderer. Right, but, you that know. you were interested in a murderer. Yeah. Should be more yeah. of your concern than that. Yeah. There's definitely between that one and the one that we spent all the time on the the dream one uh, not the dream one the vision choking vision one there's definitely the moment in um uh the second star wars uh where um i'm showing nerd showing um do it that uh anakin goes and kills all the sand people and then padme just stands there sad and then hugs him and i'm thinking uh, every time you know when i watched that i was like um red flag red flag at all <laughs> <laughs> he might uh, not be a great dad i'm just saying yeah, you're just saying he seems to have issues um so don't just stand there and be like oh that's so sad that you killed all of the sand people you know like no speaking of not- which I just learned a new therapy thing, which is shocking to me that I didn't already know. Speaking of Padma. Okay. So, you know, the fight, f- flight, fight, or freeze? Yeah. 
or fawn? Fawn. And I'm a fawner, which I thought was fascinating because, like, when everyone asks me, like, you know, I've been literally been in therapy where they're like, "Do you fight, flight, or fleas?" And I'm like, I don't, I'm not sure what I'm gonna say about that. But another option is fawn, which is when you hug the guy who just killed all the sand people, (laughs) right? Right. And that's my reaction is to be like, oh you just hurt my feelings, but you're upset now. So I'm going to make you feel better. I'm going to fawn over you. And that's another survival technique, which I literally just heard about. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's my one. Oh, interesting. I was like, I'm going to gush over you to make this all go away. Interesting. So it, I, okay. So cause I've never moment- been able to really answer the question, the fight, flight or flee, freeze. And I've always been like, I guess, freeze, but like my freeze is a fawn. My freeze is just like, nothing that happened. You're the best. I'm so, it it was the sand people's fault. You did what you had to do. Oh, wow. Which that makes sense as a coping technique. It does make sense. It makes totally make sense as a coping technique, right? Because if you're, if you have to continue to be in relationship with the person. Right. Then, like, yeah, often yeah. fawning is the way to get through. But I just found this out. I probably from an Instagram post because this is how we get our therapy these days. <laughs> but then I talked about it with people who were smart, and it's a thing. Oh my gosh, I never heard of that. Right? But that's really interesting. But now that you brought that up with Padna, I mean that's the thing, right? Like that she she went into fawn, which is how she ended up having kids. But they were they weren't even in a relationship yet. Like they right. weren't literally weren't in a relationship yet. So that might've been the time for her to be like, oh, I'll reassure you right now in this moment when you just were killy killy man. But maybe <laughs> once we go back to, we're not stuck on, you know, let's, uh, yeah, we're not. Uh, I'm going to flight because you seem <laughs> crazy. <laughs> yeah. I fond of the moment so that I didn't go with the sand people. Right. But uh, I'm going to flight and <laughs> yeah, have a good life. <laughs> Right, because uh, which anyway. is what I wanted that one woman to do in in the story that you just wanted her to die. I don't want her to die. <laughs> I was just trying doing a thought experiment. Like, what if we made it even more? You know, no, you're right. By making it darker, depressing. it actually makes it a better story. Yeah. So, but you're right. I didn't want her to die anyway. <laughs> just thought that was fascinating that's where you went with it like (laughs) or if she died (laughs) so which of these nine stories and i know we've just talked about six of them today but which of these nine stories is your favorite offhand i would say the marple one just because i like her storytelling style Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm But that's just her storytelling style. That's not, I don't think it's the, it's not the, like, the story isn't my favorite. It's just, I prefer the Marple storytelling style. So, like, easy answer, the Marple one. But actually, most interesting, I think it's the dream. Mm. Because I think the impersonating the old guy, I think it was a very interesting murder. It was a unique thing, the impersonating. And if they hadn't brought in Praro, if they'd brought in someone dumber, it would have worked. Right, right. I think that was the most interesting story. Yeah, I think that, um, I think my favorite that I just enjoy is the Parker Pine one where he. Um, the Palenza Bay. 
the Palenza Bay, because there's no murder, it's just wow. him Parker pining and gaslighting. And, <laughs> and, you know. For your own good. <laughs> but, yeah, Parker pine, tagline. Gaslighting you for your own good. Because <laughs> you uh-oh. asked him to. Yeah, yeah. And so that one and, and the line about you don't become yourself until you're 45. But Agreed, um, that's a good one. But there's so many ingenious murders here. Like, there's a lot of, like, ingenious murders. So, I mean, even the How Does Your Garden Grow is really smart with the, like, oysters and, like, you gotta really get the oyster shells, you put them in the garden. Right, yeah. And only due to, and that's why I actually like that one, because Prabro's fastidiousness is necessary to solve the crime, because he notices the asymmetry. Right, right. I like that. Yeah, the guy being stabbed in the chest, uh, in the Baghdad chest. I mean, not in the I chest. I hate that one. In, you hate that one? Yeah, it's creepy. Body in the um, box. Body in the box. I hate it. Body in the box. Yeah. I don't like it. Um, yeah, but it's... Um, Yellow Iris is my least favorite, I think. More because it just... The whole premise is creepy from the beginning. Like, why are they doing a commemorative, like, death party? Um, well, I think it was funny to read that because, like, having read the one that's a full book of the, almost the same plot, yeah, with that with less overt racism, that it was yeah. weird. But um, but there's a lot of like nice, like how did they do it kind of moments in this one. Yeah, no, it's it's really good, and as a as a collection of story, I think it really does make your brain do gymnastics to try to figure out. And it, I I find it fascinating as I own experiment with myself because i read read these ahead and then i read them before we're going to record and i can't remember the solution (laughs) and if it was easy i'd remember it right right yeah but they're complex and so often my brain is like i don't know let's see what happens again (laughs) even though i've definitely read it before (laughs) right so um i think we finished we did it okay and it was a reasonable amount of time for this second one um and what is next for us are you looking at the website i am i think it's evil under the sun it is evil under the sun which again is a is a repeat but not a repeat right right so join us next time for evil under sun on Pod. Pod. good night